This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. And this is where it starts, where we learned Torah. And I welcome all of you to 101.9 High FM. And we study the five books of Moses, the mystical side behind them, um, on Mondays every week between 1 and 2. And we're right now plowing through. In fact, I think we're actually going to be starting chapter 15 of Genesis. Um, we're still in the parsha of Lech Lecha. And uh, we're following the life cycle of our forefather, Avraham, and learning a tremendous amount from him, the way that he behaved, etc., etc. And uh, we just, in the last two weeks, we were talking about World War I, um, the real World War I, which actually happened between an axis of five kings and four kings, the devastation that they caused to the civil, civilized um, area at that point in time, the civilized world, and, of course, Abraham's triumph eventually after the four kings had vanquished the five kings, Abraham manages to squash this entire um, axis of evil and capture everybody. And uh, we finished up last week where Abraham says to the king of Storm, who survived this onslaught, could take your people and take everything with it because I'm not going to take anything that doesn't belong to me. Now we are picking up. From from that point, we're in chapter 15, we're going to look at verse 1, and interestingly, I think we're only going to discuss one verse today, because there's really so much to say about it. It says the following, Achar hadvarim ha'ele, it was after these things, Hayadvar Hashem al-Avram, the word of God came to Avraham b'machazeh, in a vision, Lamor, saying, Al-Tira Avraham, do not fear, Avraham. Anochim again, Alach. I will be your shield. I am your shield. Sacharcha harbei mood. Your reward is very great. So we, it seems now that Avraham has a prophetic vision in which God is coming to tell him not to be scared. And one may question this straight away and say, why would Avraham be afraid? Why would he need God's assurance. You would think that if it was just before he went into battle, that's understandable. You're scared. You're going into battle. You don't, uh, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe God would have given him encouragement then. Don't worry. I'm your shield. I'll look after you. But after he was victorious, he has to say, do not fear. I'll tira Abraham. Don't be scared. What is it that Abraham was scared about? So the Midrash comes and gives us about six reasons as to why he was scared. And in understanding these six reasons, we will actually have a greater appreciation of Abraham and the way that he he processed things and thought about things. So the first reason was that, as we know from the previous chapters, Avram had killed thousands of men in battle against the against the, the four kings. Now, they were wicked people. They deserved to die. They themselves had killed many people in Storm. They themselves had taken Lot captive, as we had have discussed in the previous uh, weeks. And they also had gone out to try and kill Avraham. So... He had killed all of these people who had committed all of these 
atrocities. But Abraham was still very concerned because even though it was almost next to impossible, he believed that maybe, perhaps, there was a chance that there were some good men um, amongst the thousands that he killed. Now, why did Abraham, how did Abraham base his thinking on that? So we're told that in a time of calamity, in a time when there is major war, um, there is a saying in the Torah that says when authority is given to the destroyer, it doesn't distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. Meaning when all hell breaks loose, when, when a huge destruction comes to the world, um, it's not completely pinpointed and the fact is is that it could be there could be a chance that there was a righteous amongst the many that were killed um now remember Abraham used that powder he cast it at his at his enemies and that could easily a stray bullet a stray uh, I guess it wasn't a bullet in those days a stray arrow could as easily have killed the wicked as the righteous and he was very very Worried. In fact, he obsessed about maybe he killed a righteous man, and for that he would be punished on high. So that's why, after the fact, he was pretty, pretty nervous. Now, from a halachic perspective, there is no culpability if an innocent person um, dies along with others when you're out to war. There is an entire... Um, discussion about what it is that um, that you shouldn't do, but Abraham was bla- um, Abraham was basing it on the fact that when it comes to a Jewish person, if you are asked to murder or otherwise be murdered, you rather have to give up your life than commit the murder. Okay, and that's what Abraham was basing it on. However, if one is going out to kill because your life is in danger, then this falls away. Nevertheless, Abraham, in his being very pedantic about his honesty and his integrity, was worried that perhaps he went and killed somebody that didn't deserve to die. That is one of the reasons. A second reason is that Abraham was also worried, and this is quite incredible that he had such a sensitivity, that Although, if he could say all the people he killed were wicked, it could be, it could have been that there was there the potential that one of them might have had good offspring. Now, Abraham was a prophet, and he should have maybe thought of this possibility before killing them, but because he had to go out and do what he had to do in order to save Lot, he didn't. He was very, very grieved that he killed people, and there was this chashash, there was this doubt at the back of his mind, maybe, oh maybe, um, I went and killed somebody who would eventually have somebody good come from him. And so again, he trembled and he feared because of that. The third reason given was that Abraham feared that the children and the relatives of the people he killed would unite and wage war against him. Um, and he was scared because he could see that he had been saved by a miracle now, but he did not want to rely um, on miracles moving forward. So that, too, weighed very, very heavily 
on him, and that made him pretty nervous. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Welcome back, and as always, I welcome any comments or questions that you have. Our SMS number is 34519. Our telegram number is 061-895-1019. And we are looking at the first verse of chapter 15 of Genesis, where after Abraham has managed to vanquish an enormous amount of evil in this world, he sits there and he's trembling, and God has to reassure him that there is nothing to worry about, that God is his shield, and that he has a tremendous amount of schut, a tremendous amount of reward. Just before the break, we went through three reasons. One, that he was scared that perhaps he had killed somebody innocent amongst all the people that died um, in the war. The second was that perhaps one of the people that he killed would eventually bring about somebody good into this world, and so he was worried about that. And thirdly, he was worried that the children and the relatives of the people he had killed would unite and wage war. Um, there are another couple of reasons um, still given in the Midrash. Another was that he was afraid because the spoils that he had won in the war, we had discussed, we have discussed this last week, actually belonged to Stom. And he was very concerned that he may have become wealthy from the property of the wicked. And even though he told the king of Stom, I'm not taking a shoelace from you, I'm not taking a thread from you, he was worried that perhaps something had made its way or wiggled its way into his, you know, uh, in, into his investments, into, in, into his wealth that really didn't belong to him. The fifth reason given is that we know that miracles usually don't happen without a cost. Um, we spoke about that in Parshat Noach. And when a person um, experiences a miracle, that price is deducted from the account of his merit. And Abraham was really, really concerned that he had used up all his merits in winning this battle, and that's why God still says to him at the end, Saharcha Harbe Mo'od, your reward is very great. A sixth reason is that Abraham actually said to God, God, you loved Noah, and you promised him that you would not destroy his descendants. And although the four kings were wicked, they were still Noah's descendants. And his merit should have protected them from being killed. But because I also have done many good deeds and acts of worship, my merit was bigger and enough for me to defeat them. What's going to happen, he, he asked God, if in the future there's someone who has merit that's greater than mine, Will he destroy everything that you have promised to me too? That's why God again says, Altira Avraham, do not fear Avraham, and Anochim again lach, Sacharcha Harbeim Od, I am your shield. You have, you have a lot of reward. Don't worry about that too. And lastly, the Midrash gives one last idea over here that he was worried, interestingly, about shame. The Malkitzedek, king of Shalem, that came out to greet him, that we spoke about last week with bread and wine, he was worried about him because even though he was a, a, a tzaddik, he was a righteous person, he felt that he felt bad because, as we said, as we mentioned last week, he had killed many descendants of shame. 
albeit that they were wicked. And he was worried that shame would now go and curse him for killing the army of the four kings because he had killed his descendants. He felt, so to speak, that shame was bearing some type of ill will in his heart. So again, God had to reassure him and say, fear not, Abraham. Um, the people that you killed uh, were the people that deserved to die. Your reward is very great, and I am your shield. Very interestingly, it's good to point out here that when we pray the silent prayer, the Amidah of 18 um, pr- uh, uh, prayers, 18 blessings, the first bless- blessing ends in with Baruch Atah Hashem, Magen Avraham, that you, God, are the shield of Avraham. So us too, when we are praying, we ask Hashem and remind Hashem and implore Hashem that just as he promised to be Magen Avraham, to be the shield of Avraham, that we as the descendants of Avraham will also be shielded. Very, very interesting um, side comment there. And one other thing where before I get into an, an incredibly interesting story or a couple of stories that we find in the Gemara is that the mode, the modus operandi in which God communicates with Abraham after this war changes. Before Abraham, before this war, Abraham experienced prophecy only in a dream at night. Now, from now on, it seems that the divine presence that God also speaks to him by day. And some Mepharshim go and say, this is why Abraham became apprehensive because there was this change. How do we know that? Because it says, Achar ha-dvarim ha-elet was after these things, ha-yadavar Hashem al-Avram. God spoke to Avram b'machazeh in a vision, Lamor, saying. And just the fact that God now um, started speaking to Avraham in a far more open manner, in fact, b'machazeh means that it came in a chazon, in a vision, and that he spoke to him with Dibur. Those are the two highest forms of nevuah, of prophecy. There are ten, okay, ten dif- different mystical levels experienced by prophecy. The two highest is if God speaks to you, and it's in a vision, meaning vision and speech. And this experience was so overwhelming for Abraham that he became terrified, and that's why as soon as the verse says, God came, Dvar Hashem al Avraham b'machazeh, the word of God came to Avraham in a vision, he had to say to Avraham, Altira Avraham, stop being nervous because this was absolutely um, overwhelming for him. But one underlying um, idea comes from all these various worries of Avraham, particularly in him killing people. Like, did he kill everybody that was wicked? Did he, God forbid, leave somebody that was innocent behind or somebody that could bring forth um, a, a good offspring? There's a very, very interesting um, idea that is given a moshal, which is a parable, and once I've told you the moshal, you will see the parable, you will see the nimshal, the, the explanation behind the, the, the parable, um, you'll understand it and then put it into context of Abraham's concerns. 
So the marshal goes as follows. The parable goes as follows. That once there was a man and he entered the royal gardens and he saw a pile of thorns and he figured these thorns would be good for kindling. In the olden days, they would take uh, um, cones and all sorts of things and light it because those had a, the, the ability to maintain heat. Okay, And as he emerged from the gate uh, with this pile of thorns, he sees the king looking at him. And he tries to hide because he's, he's pretty afraid that he'll be punished for stealing um, from the king. And the king looks at him and he says, come here, let me see what have you done. And he shows him. So the, the king continues to say to him, listen, my good man, you have nothing to fear. I have, I would have had to hire somebody to uh, clean up these thorns, to remove them. And although your intent was not to clear out my garden, but to benefit yourself, still you have use for these thorns. And I benefit from what, what you have done. And therefore, I'm going to reward you. So the Torah goes on to say that this is a, a, a moshal, this is a parable to what God was really saying to Abraham. What was God saying? All the men you killed were absolutely wicked. They were as um, harmful as the thorns in the king's garden, the king's garden being obviously God's world, and no good would ever have come from them. And not only am I not going to punish you for killing them, I'm going to give you reward because by for doing so, your reward is great. Why? Because we do have a mitzvah in the Torah, in the book of Devarim, you can look it up in chapter 13, verse 6, that says, you shall destroy evil in your midst, which is an interesting um, halakha that bears a lot of discussion. I'm not going to spend too much time on it today, but it bears a discussion today. If there is evil in the world, you're commanded and you're expected to destroy that evil from your midst. You cannot sit and just tolerate all the time and try to negotiate. Yes, you can tolerate and try and negotiate, but if evil continually rears its ugly head, um, we have a mitzvah to destroy that evil, and that, in fact, was what Abraham did. And so God pacifies him and says to him, you, you did a job for me. You re removed the thorns from my garden. And not only am I not going to punish you, I'm simply I'm going to give you um, reward. Now, I want to share with you a couple of stories um, that we see in the Gomorrah regarding removing evil from this world. And then again, contextualize it for you know, in terms of Abraham, because do we all, should we all be holding by Abraham's standard? So let's go through the stories and then let's try put it together at the end. So the Gemara, the Talmud relates a story about Rabbi Elazar. Rabbi Elazar was the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. We know that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai um, sat for 14 years in a cave with his son, Rabbi Elazar, studying Torah and writing the mystical texts of Torah. So we're talking about somebody that obviously was on an exceedingly high level. So Rabbi Elazar once meets a government uh, marshal whose job 
It was to execute thieves. That was his job. So Rabbi Elazar asks this marshal, how how are you sure that you're killing the right man? Maybe the man you capture is innocent and the true thieves have escaped and you don't know everybody's tricks and they might have framed an innocent man. How, how do you take that responsibility upon yourself? To which the marshal replied, what can I do? Like, that's not part of my job. I'm, I'm under orders. It's impossible for me to oppose the emperor and, you know, the judicial court that it's gone through. I'm, I just follow, I just follow orders and I execute anybody whom the courts and the emperor have found to be, um, guilty. So Rabbi Elazar said to him, I'm going to teach you what to do. Do the following. At about 10 o'clock in the morning, which is the usual time for breakfast, obviously in, in, in the Talmud days, he says before men go to the jobs, they will always go find themselves in restaurants and cafes and in, in pubs, etc., etc. So he says if you go into these into a restaurant, into a cafe, into a pub, and you see a man dozing off as he's drinking his morning beverage, ask about him. If you find out that he's a scholar, then you can assume that he is sleepy and he probably woke up before daybreak to start learning Torah. And in fact, now he's just having a bit of a break because he's already had a two, three, four hour intense learning session. If you find out that the man is sleeping because he's a craftsman, you could assume that he's woken up before dawn to do some work. Maybe no one heard him working at home. It may be that he was doing some work that didn't really make a noise, so he didn't want to make other, uh, wake up others. He could be sewing or writing, but none, nonetheless, he he got up and he put in like a good two, three hours work before he takes a break for breakfast. So find out who this guy is. But, says Rabbi Elazar, if that person is neither a scholar or a businessman, a craftsman, somebody that, that, that has got work, you can be certain that he's engaged in some type of illegal activity at night, and he you should arrest. Because why is he dozing off during breakfast? Because he's been up at night engaged in stealing and in other dishonest activities. This was the advice that Rabbi Elazar gives this governed, government marshal. The marshal takes this to heart. And he becomes very successful in eradicating crime. And his uh, superior hears about Rabbi Elazar's plan, and he was pretty impressed. So he says to Rabbi Elazar, the, 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 the captain in charge of the marshal, let the man who reads the letter also carry it out. Meaning, Rabbi Elazar, you're so good at explaining how we're going to find thieves. You know, you be the one to go and find them and carry out the entire thing. And with that, Rabbi Elazar was summoned to the, the captain, appointed a marshal, and he too, interestingly, became very successful in apprehending uh, criminals. There was a fellow, a fellow rabbi, a fellow tanner at the time by the name of Rabbi Hoshua ben Karcha, who was now watching how Rabbi Elazar had now got this new job of uh, eradicating evil in the, in the midst. And he sent a message 
This Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Yoshua ben Kacha sends a message to Rabbi Elazar and says, how long are you going to keep on arranging for God's people to be killed? He was like pretty concerned about Rabbi Elazar's behavior. To which, interestingly, Rabbi Elazar replies, I'm cleaning out the thorns in the garden. Now you can understand um, this comment based on the marshal, the parable that was given earlier. So Rabbi Yoshua ben Kacha responds, let the owner of the garden clean out his own thorns because he felt that God was able to destroy the wicked himself. The Gemara carries on and then tells an, a further interesting story about Rabbi Elazar. So one day, Rabbi Elazar um, meets a laundryman and the laundryman was quite an obnoxious and rude individual who didn't like, like Rabbi Elazar, okay? And he, he, um, called Rabbi Elazar with a, like, badly. He called him, hey, vinegar, son of wine, okay? Cause he knew that Rabbi Elazar was the son of the great saint, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, but he called him vinegar, son of wine, because yes, your father was wine, you're vinegar, you have become evil, um, and you're just killing people left, right, and center. Well, Rabbi Elazar didn't know too much more about this laundryman. All he could see was that he was pretty disrespectful. And so he, he, he made an assumption that this guy was a criminal. So he arrested him, handed him over to the executioner to be hanged. After a while, though, Rabbi Elazar calmed down and he realized that maybe he had sentenced a man to death on very flimsy evidence. So he ran to the gallows to try to rescue the laundryman, but by the time he had arrived, the latter had been hung. He was dead. So it says that Rabbi Elazar stood under the gallows and he started weeping bitterly. He, he knew that although the laundryman had insulted him, he had no evidence that he had done anything criminal and he began to feel terrible because all the other people whom he had sentenced to death he was sentencing to death because they dozed off at breakfast. Maybe that too was circumstantial evidence. And now maybe Rabbi Hosho ben Kacha's comment to him, like how long are you going around doing that job, was correct. And he started, He felt terrible, absolutely, absolutely awful with what he had done. We're going to go for a little bit of a break and we're going to see the end of the story as soon as we get back. <laughs> This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. So we have Rabbi Elazar crying bitterly now because he believed that he had hung somebody on very, very circumstantial evidence, not even circumstantial pity evidence. Um, you don't go and behead a person for, um, for being disrespectful to you. So there he is sitting and crying. Um, and then he starts questioning, you know, was he wrong in absolutely everything else, giving this f fancy advice to go and see who sleeps in a, uh, a cafe or a restaurant at 10 o'clock in the morning. So there he's sitting crying and the people see his, him being very, very distraught and they turn around to him and said, Rabbi Elazar, please stop crying. Do not worry. This man and his son were evil people. They raped a young bride last Yom Kippur. Um, 
And it says that Rabbi Elazar, when he heard that, placed his hands on his belly and said, I can rely on my gut feeling after all. Thank God, even this man, whose guilt I questioned, turned out to be guilty. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was a criminal. He committed a crime for which there's the penalty of death. And therefore, when I feel sure that a person is guilty, I can be certain that I am not an error. The people also mentioned that the laundryman's son had committed rape, apparently for no reason. Um, but again, he was still pretty nervous that um, he had killed this laundryman and caused his children to lose their inheritance. And so he did one more thing, which please do not do at home. Do not try. Very interesting <laughs> test, um, weird and wonderful test that Rabbi Elazar did. He decided to test to see if he himself had any trace of evil. See how we're looking at a person who obviously had an incredible um, level of nevoa, an incredible clean record, and was able to, to sum up people very, very powerfully. So what he did was that he allowed himself to be anesthetized. Um, and when he was anesthetized, he told physicians to remove a small piece of fat from his body. As I said, this is not to be done at home. And uh, when he recovered from the operation, he took this small piece of fat and he left it in the hot summer sun and he watched it. Now, um, practically, physically, if you put a piece of flesh out in a hot sun, it will putrefy in the summer heat and uh, you'll get worms, you'll get maggots, you'll get flies like flying around it. And he watched it for a couple of days and nothing um, came near it. And that satisf satisfied him that not even his body had a trace of an evil, never mind his soul. A very interesting off-the-wall experiment, but that is Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Um, and that um, exonerated him that all the people that he had in fact um, had a, a um, had had put to death because of him. They they indeed deserved to be put to death. On the other side of the coin, though, we have other rabbis. I guess who didn't hold themselves to the extent of Rabbi Elazar. Um, and I'm just going to give you one or two very quickly. We had um, the famous Rabbi Meir. Um, who was also known as a tzaddik, he had neighbors that were driving, or criminals that were driving him mad, and he was praying that they should die. And his wife, Bruria, who her, in and of herself, she was a tzaddikus, heard that, and she, she wrapped her husband over the knuckles and said, this is wrong. You should not be praying for them to die, but you should rather be asking that their sins be eradicated from the earth. It says that the um, the chataim, mitamu chataim mina aretz. That's what it says in Tehillim. May the sins be eradicated, not the sinners. And uh, Rabbi Meir recognized that, and he stopped praying that they should die, but rather that their evil ways should die. Similarly, there's a story that is told about a man called Mar Ukva who said, there's a certain person who constantly torments me and I can get rid of him by reporting him to the authorities. Is it permissible? To which he was answered, although they cause great, cause you great suffering, you must endure it and not be guilty of bloodshed. You should rather, 
um, fall on the things that gird yourself with patience and they will be punished from on high. And so that was another um, story that shows that not everybody had the sensibility, the, the sensitivity of Avraham and of Rabbi Elazar and certainly did not go and take that into their own hands. So where do we stand from, from, from understanding all of this in the Chumash? Basically, we need to work within the confines of the physical world. And there is no question that, that all of us are certainly not on the meritorious level of Avraham or on Rabbi Elazar. Even other Tanaim didn't allow themselves to cross that point. We cannot go and look at a person and find something completely um, unsubstantiated or circumstantial and decide that they should be um, that they should be put to death. We need to go through a process. The process is um, governed by halacha, um, where we need to have two witnesses. That, that, that witness something, that the, the judges are a hundred percent sure that what is given is completely foolproof, etc., etc., and we have to allow the course of nature to, to, um, take its, its, you know, to, to, to make itself out. What we cannot, what, what we cannot do is go and kill people or put people and have, or basically have blood in our hands. Two items that we need to learn from are the following. One is that we should be like Rabbi Meir and pray that the evil part of their actions disappears, not the people themselves. And the second, to know that there is a God in this world and what comes around will go around and there will be ultimate justice in this world. Something that's really, really important um, in this day and time where we see so much evil proliferating. At the same time, you can't sit back and negotiate with this evil or tolerate this evil because that too is is, is not Jewish. We are obligated to get rid of evil. I'm going to leave that thought with you today. Um, you can use this thinking now that you're in the month of Elul. If people have done wrong to you, if something has happened to you that you are aggrieved about, Question it again and maybe frame it along these lines. Can I let go of it? Can I let God deal with it? Can I pray that the evil should go away, not the person in themselves, and then leave it all in God's court to sort out for the new year? And with that, I wish you all a wonderful day and week ahead.